Hello and welcome to The Lone Adventurer, an actual play solo RPG podcast with me, Carl White. I will be your narrator, your game master, and your guide as we follow our heroes on their journey into the unknown. For this game, I will be using the Shadow Dark ruleset, along with a variety of other systems, tools, and tables as they take my fancy. A word of warning. The following scenes will contain disturbing imagery, ghastly horror, and lots of swearing, screaming, and murder. Listeners of a delicate disposition, I beg you, turn away now. Once you descend into the shadow dark, there is no turning back. Welcome to this special edition of The Lone Adventurer. Let's get this out of the way first. This episode is not a continuation of Mina Montessario's adventures or those of her wider cast of characters. I know it's been a long time since I took a step away from that story, and the reasons for doing so haven't much changed. Life is still pretty full, and I still don't feel I have the mental space or the time to get back into regular podcasting. That said, occasional podcasting isn't regular, right? Maybe I can do the odd episode here and there. And if I can manage that, well then, who knows? Anyhow, here we are for a special edition of The Lone Adventurer. So, if this episode isn't part of Mina's story, what is it? Well, a while ago, I came across a game from the Arcane Library called Shadow Dark, and I fell for it hard. The mood evoked by the mechanics, the look and feel of the product, the glorious retro artwork, everything about it just sucked me in, emotionally rewinding me straight back to my very first steps in RPGs just like that food critic in Ratatouille. Just like my D&D basic and expert books from way back in 1981, this was a deadly system of hapless, greedy adventurers braving dark dungeons by flickering torchlight, with creeping death just a random encounter away. But this was a nostalgia trip coupled with some of the best innovations in modern RPG design. And then... Having fallen in love with the old-school sensibilities and streamlined design elegance of Shadow Dark, I was lucky enough to stumble upon a very active discussion thread on the Arcane Library's Discord server about Solo Dark, the solo toolkit currently being built by the game's designer, Kelsey Dion. As part of those discussions, Kelsey had released a very early work-in-progress draft for playtesting, and so I grabbed what was there, supplemented it with two of my favourite tools, Maze Rats and Perilous Wilds, and dove in, getting back to the solo RPG table for the first time in many months. I hadn't planned to do more than just roll some dice and kick the tyres on a new system, but, well, here I am. I blame you, Michael, from Night Noon Games. Anyway, that's enough preamble. Let's delve in to Shadow Dark. I kick off 
by rolling up two characters on the Shadow Darklings website, an amazing Shadow Dark Online character generator. Gelar is a dumb elven fighter who's strong as an ox, and Mared is a quick-fingered and quick-tongued thief who's not quite as smart as he thinks he is. Each of them start the game with one luck point, which will let them make a re-roll if they need to. At this point in Solo Dark's development, PCs start with a luck token, but at present there are no luck refresh mechanisms. So I decide to house rule that I will get a luck point if I roll a 1 on my d20, if I roll a critical failure. That will offset the disaster a little, and represent learning from the School of Hard Knocks. The Solo Dark rules say to give your character a motivation by rolling on the secret or prompt tables. But as those tables don't exist yet, I use a wonderful little book called Maze Rats instead, and roll on its NPC goals table. Gellar yearns to destroy an item. I decide that because his background is Redeemer, it's linked to whatever brought the name of his kin into disrepute. And Mared wants to sabotage a faction, in this case the City Guard. His background is orphaned, so I decide that he came up on the streets and he wants to get his own back on the Guard for one too many shoeings. Next, as instructed in the Solo Dark rules, I set the stage. As there's no twist table yet in the Solo Dark draft to set up my opening situation, I decide to pose a few questions using a mixture of Shadow Dark tables, the Maze Rats book, and an excellent Dungeon World supplement, the Perilous Wilds. First, who set my characters on their path? I use Maze Rats tables to determine that they were hired by one Orland Bobbich, a shady character who's calling in a debt. He's skinny, and wears a brandmark of the last word, the local thieves' guild. Next, what did Orlan hire my bold pair to do for him? The Shadow Dark Adventure Generator gives me the result, Imprison the Vampire in the Thieves' Guild. Hmm, how's that for a coincidence? And why did he hire them? Again, a roll on the Maze Rats NPC goal table gives me Craft Item a Crown. Hmm. Maybe the vampire is the crime guild boss, and Alden needs them trapped while he creates something that will mess with them somehow. And finally, the how. The Shadow Dark Rumours table tells me that the Red Owl Tavern has a trapdoor into the Shadow Dark. Hmm, okay, I think I have enough to set my stage. Away we go. I should have known this caper would go tits up the moment all and pitched it. Follow a badly scrawled map down into the city sewers. Place a bunch of arcane wards in various locations for some ambiguous purpose. What could possibly go wrong? Where Orland's involved, pretty much everything, it turns out. Frankly, it should have been obvious from the fact that he was sending me and Gellar down there alone. He had something urgent he had to take care of, apparently. What the low-life little shit had failed to mention was that we weren't warding against rats or carrion crawlers or effluent oozes. No, we were warding against a frigging vampire. 
And not just any vampire. This particular undead murder machine also happened to be Bianca Lamarck, undisputed crime boss of Brigandmar, and top of every sane person's list of people you absolutely do not fuck with. Not that we learned any of this until it was too late, of course. By the time it became apparent just how deeply Orland had screwed us, we had one furious immortal crime lord caged in their sewer lair, two lost and terrified contractors, that would be us, minus one map and down to our last few soggy torches, and half the last word thieves guild down here with us, who, it turns out, are were-rats. Who knew? I figured I'd throw the were-rat thing in there just for fun. If my solo RPG principle number one is start them off in deep shit, principle two is, if in doubt, make things worse. Next, we need us some dungeon to crawl in. And in the absence of the solo dark dungeon generation tables that will soon exist, Perilous Wilds is a great stand-in. Here are my city sewers. Name the Sewer of Lost Souls. Size small, areas 9, themes 2, those being darkness and death, and unspeakable horrors. Form is a sewer, obviously. The situation is below ground, accessibility has been purposely hidden. The builder was a human society, the function, sanitation and concealment. The cause of ruin, it was overrun by monsters. And then a number of common areas. We'll have a three-way intersection, endless sewer tunnels, active inlet pipes, a river of shit, heavy iron grating and rusting gantry. And a few unique areas. A pumping station, the pit, and Lamarck's lair. Well, that's it. We're all set to go dungeon delving. Ready? In Shadowdark, dungeon areas are ranked either unsafe, risky, or deadly. I'm going to call this sewer Risky, which will result in a random encounter check every two rounds. And that's going to be on top of any dangers that crop up as a result of the Perilous Wilds exploration rules. I'm going to grant my characters three torches each, which in the current iteration of the Solar Dark rules is going to last 2d6 rounds for each torch. Let's see how long our first torch will last. Oh, only three rounds. I hope the next ones last a little bit longer, or this could be a very short game. We kick off our dungeon crawl with a roll on the Perilous Wilds See What They Find table. Aerial 1 of 9. A common area with no dangers and no discoveries. And that common area? A river of shit. Nice. We're lost, aren't we? Frankly, I don't care for Gedar's tone. The big lugs is handy in a fight, of course, but he can really grate on the nerves at times. Doesn't help that he's right. I haven't got a fucking clue where I am. Of course not. What makes you think that? I remember the route back perfectly. He's this way, then right at the junction at the end, then second left and out. 
Mind like a steel trap, me. Wouldn't need one if you hadn't lost the map. See what I mean? Grating. Of course, it also doesn't help that we're up to our armpits in shit, down to our last few torches and being hunted down like rabid dogs by the last words deadly as cutthroats and bruisers. Not to mention whatever other horrors lie lurking in this stinking cesspit. Lesson and spirits might flag at a time like this. Round two. Two rounds of torchlight remaining. My characters were busy bickering last round, and so were clearly not thinking of hiding or sneaking. They're not the brightest, these two. I roll to see if I get a random encounter, and thankfully this round I don't. I move to my second location, which turns out to be another common area, this time a heavy iron grating. But this time there is a danger. I'm going to roll to see what it is, and it turns out to be a creature. I rolled human, but I decide to change that to were-rat, as we've established this place is thick with them. Just the one, thankfully. I roll on the nifty Solo Dark Oracle to see if there is any way of getting past this grating, with unlikely odds, but no, there isn't. I also roll to see if the were-rat attacks from ambush. This time I roll with likely odds, but again I get a no. We'll be getting a straight-up fight then. A quick note on that oracle. I really love the simplicity of this system. A 1 is a critical failure on a d20. A 20 is a critical success. Between 2 and 9 is a no. And between 11 and 19 is a yes. With a 10 meaning a twist has occurred. Odd numbers mean a but result. Yes but. Or no but. If odds are likely, you roll 2d20 and take the highest, or 2d20 take the lowest if they're unlikely. Simple and easy to remember, without having to look anything up. We continue wading down the river of filth, our guttering torchlight barely illuminating 20 feet ahead of us. The stench is indescribable, and this is from a guy who's lived with Geller standards of personal hygiene for the last two years. When the tunnel finally ends, in a heavy iron grating, it is clear there is no getting past it. Gellar says nothing, but his look carries all the reproach and lack of surprise of a thrice-disappointed parole officer. And I should know. I choose to rise above it. Besides, we have more important things to worry about. I've caught a glint of red eyes in the darkness behind us just beyond our torchlight. Round three. Just one round of torchlight left. I head to the were-rat entry in the Shadow Dark rulebook and realise something slightly alarming. This creature has an attribute that I hadn't anticipated. Impervious. This creature is only damaged by silver or magical sources. Oops. When I made the spur-of-the-moment decision to make the last word goons wear rats, it was more for fun sewer flavour than to toughen them up. I'd forgotten about Impervious. My level 1 PCs have no magic and no silvered weapons. 
this game will be over pretty damn quick if I stick with the impervious trait. And so, going against the deadly ethos of Shadow Dark at my very first encounter, I'm going to ditch it. What the hell? It's a solo game, right? Who'll ever know? Initiative. In the current iteration of the Solo Dark rules, the person with the highest dexterity bonus from each side makes an initiative roll. The winning side takes their turns, and then the losing side takes theirs. Marred gets a 14, and the Werat gets a lowly 4. Can Gellar get into melee range in time? Let's ask the Oracle. With even odds, I roll a 7. That's a no, but and I rule that the but in this instance means that he is able to draw his javelin and throw it in this round. Gellar, javelin, 14 versus armor class 13. That's 2 damage, and he moves to near range. Marad pulls out his crossbow and gets an 11 versus armor class 13. That's a miss. He's also going to move to near range, but he's going to tuck in behind Gellar. Then the Werat. He's going to move in also to near range, so he's closing into combat, and he's going to bite versus Gellar. He gets a 4 versus Gellar's armor class of 13, which is a miss. Shit! Shit! They found us! Hit it, Gellar! The big elf strides forward through the mire, a javelin suddenly in his hand, and he hurls it with deadly accuracy. The creature is fast, though. It scuttles to one side, hardly scratched. My crossbow misfires, and I'm lucky not to shoot Gellar in the arse. Fortunately, he doesn't seem to notice. He's too busy fending off the slavering creature. Round four. The torch goes out. Initiative. Mered, ten. The Werat, sixteen. The Were-Rat lunges and bites at Gellar, 9 versus armor class 13, that's a miss. Marred is going to try and light a torch. Does he light it? I'm going to give that an even odds on the Oracle. Yes, and it's going to last for 7 rounds. Gellar is then going to attack with his longsword against the Were-Rat. Natural 20, 11 hit points of damage, he kills the Were-Rat. The torch, which had been threatening to go out on us, decides now is the perfect time to do so. We are plunged into total blackness, and I consider the shriek that I let out to be perfectly understandable under the circumstances. Thankfully, I have a torch to hand for just such an eventuality, and it flares into life just as the Bretkin is lunging in for the kill under cover of darkness. Garrod seizes the opportunity, plunging his blade straight down the Rat Thing's gullet. I wonder if I should have rolled my oracle for lighting the torch at disadvantage, because, well, it was pitch black, and there was all the pressure of the battle to deal with. In hindsight, yes, I probably should. I've also been thinking a bit more about the oracle and its odds felt to me as though normal disadvantage and advantage were good, but didn't necessarily create a wide enough set of odds options, and that broadening it out to out to 3d20 might help. So impossible odds might mean 3d20 and take the lowest, certain odds might be 3d20 and take the highest. 
that would give a broader set of probabilities if unlikely was 2d20 take the lowest, likely was 2d20 take the highest, and even odds were a straight d20 roll. It just feels a bit more interesting to me. Anyway, enough game theory. Let's get back to the killing. Round five. Seven lights of torchlight remaining. My party are forced to travel back down the tunnel and look for another way out. There are, thank the lost, no more of the ratty little bastards. Yet. Time to get the hell out of this hole. Follow me, Gellar, I say, clapping the big fellow on the forearm. I leave a shitty handprint on just about the only clean part of him. Have no fear, I'll get you out of here in one piece. Gellar, as is his wont, says nothing, but his raised eyebrow speaks volumes. Library shelves, even. As is my wont, I ignore him and set off back the way we came, cheery as you like. Round six. Six rounds of torchlight remaining. A roll for a new area, three of nine. This one is a unique area with one danger and two discoveries. And the unique area is the pit, filled with bones and a terrible stench. There is one exit, which is ahead. Let's find out what that danger is. Turns out to be a creature, a leader plus minions. And the nature of that leader? Well, it is a monster, an unusual monster at that, an ooze with the ability to teleport. There are also minion monsters. We'll get to those in a moment. But first, the discoveries. First, discovery one is a feature, which is the exit is blocked. And discovery two is that there is a bridge. A quick sidebar on the minions. Action economy can be a real challenge in a solo game, where you're typically running a small party. If you run into a boss and a bunch of their goons, and you've got no way to flee, things can get sticky fast. This can suit an OSR-style game. The world is supposed to be dangerous. But in a solo game, you probably want a little bit more survivability to offset that reduced party size. Minions can be a way to tackle this in a solo game. If you have a tough boss monster, and if they have multiple mooks with them, then only giving those mooks one hit point each can even things out just a little bit. One hit will kill one of the mooks. The risk, of course, is that it can make the PCs seem a little bit too heroic in a setting that is supposed to be grim and gritty. A quick sidebar within a sidebar on that acronym OSR. There is a tendency for RPG players done it again, to toss acronyms around like their confetti, which has the effect of making an already fairly impenetrable hobby even more opaque. Those in the know stroke their beards, pull on their pipes and nod wisely, and those not in the know determine never to grow a beard and decide pipes are for dickheads. At the risk of vanishing down a never-ending rabbit hole filled with interminable arguments about very small things, and with the caveat that this can depend on who you talk to, OSR either stands for Old School Revival, which tends to mean games that replicate, reorganise or refine very early editions of D&D and their near clones, 
or it stands for Old School Renaissance, which refers to games that celebrate the spirit of those early games, but tend to apply new solutions to old problems. Shadow Dark, by those definitions, falls squarely in the latter camp. But it is worth noting at this point that we are pretty much arguing about how many angels can dance on the head of a pin, and we're probably better off considering loftier topics. Like minions. Suffice to say, for our purposes, the OSR acronym will serve to describe the flavour of this game. Fragile meat sacks with illusions of grandeur, braving perilous dungeons, filled with slavering horrors, fiendish traps, and big piles of treasure. Where were we? Ah, yes, minions. So, with a boss monster and their goons, it's clear that my party is massively outmatched, and so, although those rules don't exist anywhere in the Shadow Dark or Solo Dark rule set, I will be using one hit point minions. I hunt through the Shadow Dark book for suitable foes, and end up with a grey ooze and four giant leeches. This should be fine. Things are looking up, I grin pointlessly stamping the filth from my boots. Unless my unerring sense of direction is way off base, and it never is, salvation is just around this shit. The tunnel leads into a broad, circular brick-walled chamber, perhaps 60 feet tall, spanned perhaps 30 feet up by a stone bridge that vanishes into dark entrances at either end. A steady flow of sewage from our tunnel, only an inch or two deep now, as well as flows coming from multiple grated pipes that circumvent the chamber wall, all poured into a central chasm that vanishes into endless darkness. Only a narrow walkway around the edge of the room provides access to the doorway on the far side. That's not the cause of the expletive, though. That's more down to the heaps of bleached bones that choke the narrow walkway, and the fact that the doorway has been heavily barricaded from the other side. Oh, and the large grey puddle that rears up on the bridge overhead and lets out a long, burbling wail. Like I said, shit. Do the party have time to flee? An even oracle roll says no. Initiative. The party rolled a very respectable 15. The monsters rolled an 18. Of course, it's never the thing you see that gets you. No. It turns out that the thing that gets you is the glistening black slug, the size of a house cat, that drops silently off the wall above you, plunges circular rings of needle-like teeth into your neck, and begins to suck the blood from your body. That, and the other three that follow it. My last vision as my fallen torch gutters out, and my body begins to go numb with shock and venom, is a gellar falling to the same fate. I swear, if I come back undead, I won't rest until that bastard Orlan is cold in the ground. Ouch. 
beaten on initiative, then four enemy hits in a single round, including one crit. We didn't even get to the Ooze's turn. There's no coming back from that, particularly when Mared only had a single hit point. It is game over for Gellar and Mared. In hindsight, that encounter was well beyond them, even with the introduction of those minion rules. My party only lasted six rounds in the sewer of lost souls. Not to worry, though. This is supposed to be deadly. So, what's next for the sewer of lost souls? How can the adventure continue when the whole party is dead? I guess we'll have to wait until next time to find out. If indeed there is a next time on The Lone Adventurer.